welcome to stat i'm telling you all medical true crime stories and it gets bizarre karen wickiam yeah she used to work in the r and now she's sharing the knowledge so let's get involved hey funny and scary at the same time medical mysteries all facts she ain't lying <laughs> so tune in the stat if you dare because crazy things can happen anytime anywhere <laughs> yeah Hello, 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 everybody out there in podcast land. Welcome to Stat, Shocking Traumas and Treatments, and I am your host, Karen Ricky. I'm coming to you from beautiful Toronto, Ontario, Canada. What happened to my voice there? I don't know. Got all froggy. Froggy. You got a frog in your throat? Ribbit, uh, ribbit. Ribbit. Well, I am, uh, you know, I've got some French in me. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say that? That's what she said. Oh, God. Okay, so let's talk about today's episode. We're going to do, as you probably read in the title and show notes, um, this is the now going to be a mini-series about women's health. And why is the women's health a mini-series and the men's health one episode? Well, because we have a lot of extra internal doings. <laughs> and uh, yeah, because we're complicated. That's just it. <laughs> we make babies. Yeah. Well, not alone. Of course. But we grow babies. That's that's yes. that's better. So we have more internal yes. <laughs> exactly things going on. So um, this is going to be a couple of episodes long. And I, I really hope that you guys get something out of it. I think it's important to talk about our bodies, our reproductive system. And um, yeah, you know, some I, I'm not going to assume that everybody that's listened or that listens is like, oh yeah, I know my body inside and out, up and down. There may be people listening that don't understand the the female reproductive system and how it works. Um, and I think we should all be open to always understanding and to learning. And sometimes it's it's embarrassing to want to ask these questions. You know what I mean? So yeah. And and some of this stuff just kind of doesn't come up anymore, but it's still um, relevant. And you'll see what I'm talking about. For instance, toxic shock syndrome. That's something that was huge in the 70s and 80s. There was a lot of things going where women were becoming quite sick. So, but it's still relevant. So yeah, so let's just get into it. Let's talk about the female reproductive system. So the way I've worked it out, I'm trying to think, where do I start with this? Start with this. So I'm going to start from the bottom and move on to the top. <laughs> is that a, is that a, Jenga, Jenga, woman's Jenga. <laughs> <laughs> you know commercial ads that I don't even Jenga, Jenga, Baba Jenga. Okay, so we're gonna start with the vagina, cervix, which is the lowest part of the uterus, and then we're gonna talk about the uterus, and we're gonna talk about the fallopian tubes and the ovaries, and we're gonna talk about breasts. And we're going to talk about, um, like the uterus is a huge organ and there's a lot that goes on there. Well, I mean, in physical size, it's not really that large, but it's miraculous what it can do. Yeah. Like in my head, I see the uterus taking a path in my abdomen, but then again, I had a, a, a large baby or I was very large. So I'm like, okay, my uterus is half my body, but, uh. Yeah, and that's incredible about it. So what I want to also touch on, which I will start to in this episode, is menstruation, pregnancy, all the aspects of pregnancy, including things like prenatal care, postnatal care, um, postpartum depression, 
or postpartum care, <laughs> postpartum depression, postpartum uh, psychosis, and things like that. And we're also going to talk about menopause. So that's how things are going to break down, and uh, we'll we'll see how this goes. I, I haven't decided whether this is going to be a two- or three-parter, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be three-parter. Anyway, okay, so let's start with the vagina. And again, I'm going to cover anatomy of things, because it, because I'm just going to. Why not? What is a vagina for? Birth canal. Getting pregnant. Getting Pretty pregnant. much is it's... <laughs> biggest (laughs) I guess those are the two main things yeah to get the baby in there sort of you know I know that's not how whatever and to create the baby (laughs) to create the entrance way to create a human being and a way of getting that thing out of you (laughs) because by the time you're ready you're ready Mm -hmm. I'll also talk about c-sections because that's important okay so what are some things that can affect the vagina negatively? What are some problems that we can have? And one of the top ones to talk about is sex. Okay. We, there, like I said, there's various things that can affect the health of the vagina. And so when you think about sex, there's certain things like unprotected sex and forceful sex, injury to the pelvic area. And then Something else we can touch on is is sexual abuse and and rape, and how obviously that affects um, your body physically and most importantly um, psychologically. There are certain health conditions that occur that are related to the vagina, but the other organs of the reproductive system such as endometriosis and um, pelvic inflammatory disease, which I'll refer to as PID. You can also get scarring from pelvic surgery, and certain cancer treatments can also cause painful sex. So like I said, this is all relating to sex. So you have those uh, conditions that's going to create a lot of of pain and, and bleeding. So... One of the things that can upset the normal flora or upset the incredible balance of how the vagina keeps itself from getting sick, so to speak, from getting infections and things are are what obviously what we put in it or around it. And one of them are is barrier creams, something that can, um, you know, just uh, help with birth control. Or if you have, um, you're feeling uncomfortable down there, that kind of stuff, a barrier cream can throw everything off. Because really nothing is supposed to be there. The vagina can just take care of itself. And you're not supposed to really, it doesn't, it isn't supposed to really need help with things. So you don't really need to help it along unless something's going on. Condoms. Some people are allergic to condoms or the... Um, Latex or, or the lubricants if they're, yeah. you know, whatever. Exactly. Um, diaphragms. I don't even know if they're really being used anymore. Oh yeah, I've got quite a few clients that really that will tell me they have that because I always, when I do an intake, if if a woman's presenting with low back pain, I'm always asking about C-section scars and endometriosis and stuff because of course that can refer to the low back. So okay, yeah, 
And, you know, sometimes, I mean, I guess for some women, they work okay. But for some, I'm wondering if they, they do exacerbate some symptoms more than help. But it's all individual, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, another one is spermicide. I guess, sorry, I should have said like IUDs. Was that what you meant? Oh, no, diaphragms. Oh, okay. IUDs are different. Diaphragms are like, they look like little cups. Sorry, I had IUD in my head. That's what I was thinking of. Oh, okay. Well, that's what I'm saying. But okay, we got that cleared up. (laughs) So I'm thinking, all right, there's still a lot of diaphragms out there, but... All right, and we will get into some discussion about IUDs. Okay. Uh, Spermicide and sprays and deodorants and douches. A lot of women douche and... You don't need to. If there's something going on down there that doesn't seem right, you should see your doctor. And and sprays and stuff like that. If you're having unpleasant odors um, and discomfort and stuff like that, a douche is not going to clear it up. It may make it worse. Same with deodorants and stuff like that, sprays and all that kind of stuff. You know, we just need all natural. So if you're going to use a wipe, that kind of thing, just something that has no perfume on it, something that won't clear away the the normal bacteria and yeast that we have in there we want that to to do its job it's a delicate balance yeah and uh, so another thing that really obviously affects the vagina is childbirth um in pregnancy you get um you can get vaginal tears episiotomy and just from pregnancy decreased muscle tone in the pelvic floor so some women nowadays nowadays um preferred or asked for a c-section over and above there being a medical reason for it just because a lot of trauma can go on down there i can speak for that um i had a grade three tear yeah and i'm telling you ouch i went from zero to giving birth my doctor went grocery shopping (laughs) i was quite young and he he was just like oh it was 11 o'clock in the morning I've been in labor. I didn't know. I had, I would felt constipated. I went to the bathroom and I'm like, yeah, I think there's something more to this. <laughs> I was by myself, honestly, up north, a, lo- a long way from many people. I don't know what I was thinking. You know, I'm going to do this at home. You know, I'm going to be that mother swaddling her child, you know, naked with a, a, a gauze blanket covering us and, you know, like the Madonna and the baby. No. I was like, someone get here now. Anyway, yeah. He's like, ah, first birth, blah, blah, blah. Walking around. No, oh, I called the nurse. I'm like, I'm in a lot of pain. She's like, ah, just go walk around. And I'm like, oh, God, it hurts. And then I felt stickiness. And I said, can you come take a look? And she's like, oh, my God. So by one o'clock, Van was delivered. <laughs> so much for, yeah. Well, because sometimes they say for first births they're like oh you know yeah first births women are in labor yeah. for a while and yada yada so between 11 them sort of giving me shit for being a wuss walking around mm-hmm. so they called my doctor but the nurse is pretty much delivered fan <laughs> and because i was just like get it out and mm-hmm. i didn't get a lot of support and that's why i got some you know some uh, damage and tearing and stuff like that but it was all worth it it's a He's the wonderful, wonderful young man. An important part of the universe. Mm-hmm. Okay, so psychological issues can affect um, sex as well. Uh, anxiety, depression decreases your arousal. And if you still um, feel like you 
want to be intimate or be intimate with your partner, that can cause a lot of pain because you're just not ready to have sex. Your body's not, hasn't lubricated itself properly. So uh, it's going to hurt or it may hurt. Hormone levels. So changes in estrogen, the decrease of estrogen. Um, as we know, it declines during menopause, but it also declines during breastfeeding. Okay. And it causes the vaginal lining to thin. It's also known as uh, vaginal atrophy, making sex very painful. Painful. So um, the most common problems with the vagina are a sort of like what I was just going through pain. It's also known as dyspineuria. And it can be caused by over and above the things I just talked about, uh, spasms in the vaginal wall. And then we talked about vaginal dryness postmenopause. STDs, huge one, chlamydia, gonorrhea, genital warts, syphilis, genital herpes. And these may present themselves with um, abnormal discharge and sores and abdominal pain. Another one is vaginitis. So that's the change in the pH balance of the, the yeast and the bacteria that are in there. And like I said before, so much can throw that off. The human body is incredible. All, all of it. So it's down there going, listen, you don't need to be doing that. Just let me do my thing. Step away. <laughs> Step away from me. You and your voices. Huh? I think, yeah, I think the important thing is just the body, the body always wants to be in a state of balance or homeostasis. It always wants to go back to the set point. And then just sometimes things can upset that, whether it's, um, you know, introduction of foreign bacteria or. Yeah, just uh, everything that we. Sexually transmitted yeah. uh, infection, um, you know. Well, and so with vaginitis, and this is a pretty common thing with women. And again, there's this uh, stigma and sometimes shame related to it when it's just something that can happen. So you, you may get um, abnormal vaginal discharge that um, has a strong odor to it, unpleasant odor to it, itching and pain. Um, and common types of vaginitis are bacterial vaginosis and yeast infections and trichom... I always have a hard time saying that. Trichomoniasis. That wasn't too bad. Yeah, that's not an easy one. <laughs> Okay, so then you also have something called a pelvic floor relaxation. The connective tissues and ligaments that hold the uterus and vagina become weak um, and may lead to prolapse. You have you can have vaginal cysts that are benign but may cause bleeding during sex. And then you have vaginal cancer. Um, so at the beginning, early stages of it, it uh, affects the, the cells in the lining of the vagina and can be completely asymptomatic. Hmm. Only when it becomes more invasive and spread to nearby tissues uh, and deeper into the walls of the vagina that you start to really get um, symptoms like abnormal vaginal bleeding, abnormal discharge. You can feel a mass or a lump and have painful sex. Um, the difference between... Um, a lump or a mass and prolapse is that a prolapse is really mobile. You know, I've seen it where women have a, have a, um, a prolapse uterus and you can just kind of push it right back or you can have a rectocele, that kind of thing. Always get it checked out. Always get it checked out. 
Um, then in advanced cancer, vaginal cancer, you have all of the above plus painful ur urination, constipation, pain in the pelvic floor or lower down in the belly, um, back pain and swelling in the legs. And yeah, it's... Now, for those who may not know, a rectus seal. Oh, is sort of um, a weakness in, in a wall. A rectus seal is when you have a weakness between the bowel and um, the vaginal wall. Okay. And what happens is that the um, bowel will, will, will pouch into the vagina and can actually um, go into the vagina itself and sometimes actually prolapse out. And that can be treated uh, surgically, but it becomes problems when it comes to passing uh, stool and stuff like that, because it can get, sort of get stuck in that in that area. And it, um, yeah, again, see see the doctor about it, and there are some options for for treatment for those things. So, so it's I mean, I've had you know many clients who've, you know, had uh, difficult you know difficult challenging births and stuff, and and you know usually it's mostly like their bladder is kind of, you know they cough or sneeze and stuff from urinary from, incontinence yeah. yeah from from just um but i guess that's more related to uterus and stuff yeah and and i mean i think again if you're having some of these uh things go see your doctor mm -hmm. they might say hey you know what it's this or they it may go you know what this is more concerning let's do some tests and it's better to catch like any of this early on unfortunately some things are asymptomatic and you know that's yeah. why regular checkups are really important I mean, we don't want to go see our gynecologist. We don't want to be hi, hello, how are you on the on the table and stirrups. Mm -hmm. But honestly, and and some have, of us have suffered some very serious trauma, and it's very difficult. And that's important to find the right doctor to do this. But please don't avoid getting your your checkups because. Like I just said, there may you may be asymptomatic to something that will, um, you know, reveal itself. So if you start to get symptoms in general of discharge cha uh, changes, redness, itching, bleeding, feeling a mass or a bulge, and having painful sex outside of normal um, or something that's explainable, go see your doctor um, outside of going to see your doctor regularly. Okay. Yeah, and there's also, you know, lots of options now for women who have, you know, maybe sort of more minor issues like urinary incontinence or vaginal prolapse or whatever is um, pelvic floor physiotherapy is really huge now. And there's a lot of really great practitioners out there that can help you and uh, can make a great improvement in your quality of life. Yeah. So that's definitely another option you can look into. I think you should always go to the doctor first. Yes. Get a well, diagnosis. Well, they would refer you, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then often, not, but I've seen more and more or heard more and more doctors are referring and saying, hey, you can go get some physiotherapy for that, etc." Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's time to move on to the cervix. The cervix connects the vagina to the uterus and it's a fibro uh, muscular tissue. It kind of looks like a donut. Okay, so I'm going to break down the cervix. There's two main portions. The ectocervix. And there's an opening in the center of it, also known as the external os. It allows a passage between the uterus and the vagina, because that's where we need the swimmers to go up so that we can get pregnant. And yeah, baby's got to come out too. And you've got the endocervix, 
which is the canal. And this is this little two inch tunnel um, that goes through the cervix up into the uterus, but it is the, the furthest part of the uterus itself. And that little two, what are you shaking your head at? Two inches, and then you got to give birth to like a seven pound oh, baby or something. Like I didn't it, know what you were shaking your head at. Just like it's miraculous, but yeah. also, ow. Yeah. Um, so that little two inches is called the transformation zone. No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about uh, conditions of the cervix. So you have cervical cancer, um, which is mostly caused by HPV. And we're going to get into HPV. You're going to going to teach you guys about it today if you don't know. And if you do, I think it's important to, you know, review it ourselves again. Mm -hmm. And that can be um, easily uh, diagnosed through a pap smear. So get your regular pap smears, ladies. Um, cervical incompetence, which I didn't know about. And it's the early dilation during um, pregnancy, which can cause a premature uh, delivery, premature baby. And it's usually caused by prior um, uh, tests or trauma. So you might have had a, a procedure done that has, you know, where you had to go up into the, the cervix and into the uterus and it could have caused some damage to, to the muscle tissue and things like that. So, And then you have cervicitis, which is an inflammation of the cervix. And again, we're looking at that's caused by an STT, STD, we'll say for the most part, you know, you never know, the body can always have that tiny, tiny percentage is caused by something else. Another one is cervical dysplasia. Now, this is really important. These are the abnormal cells that can be found in the cervix that can turn into cerv cervical cancer. So if that is caught, if caught, sorry, if that is caught early, there is a huge chance of, of stopping cancer um, to progress. Um, another thing is cervical polyps. These are small, painless growths that are usually harm harmless and cause vaginal bleeding. So now I want to get into pelvic inflammatory disease, and I'm going to refer to it as PID from this point on because then I won't mess with saying things <laughs> you know, so I don't uh, fall all over the words. Okay, so it is an infection of the reproductive system, female reproductive system, and it's usually caused by an STD. And it starts in the vagina and can work its way up um, into the uterus, fallopian tubes, and even towards the ovaries. The symptoms sometimes can be mild to difficult to diagnose because it's just lower abdominal pain. Could it be on a you know, painful period or uncomfortable period? Could it be constipation? You know, uh, any number of things. So the symptoms early are on, like I said, are mild to difficult to diagnose. And some women don't even know that they have an STD until it's advanced along. From there, the pain can be anywhere from mild to severe, and it's in the lower abdomen and pelvis area. You may have um, abnormal, eventually have uh, abnormal and heavy vaginal discharge, discharge that doesn't smell good at all, and abnormal abdominal bleeding, especially during or after intercourse and in between periods. Um, painful intercourse, and some women will, if it, as it advances, uh, become, get fever and chills, and painful, frequent, and difficult urination. If you get to that point, this is a medical em emergency, okay? Go see your doctor. 
if you have severe pain in the lower abdomen, nausea, vomiting, fever over 101 or 38.3, and foul vaginal discharge, okay? You could have an abscess in there that has um, ruptured. Mm-hmm. And then that leads to peritonitis. And you get very, very sick. You become septic. You can become septic. And you may lose the ability to have children in the future. So go to the doctor. Don't ignore things. So the causes. STDs. Most common gonorrhea and chlamydia. Menstruation. After childbirth, miscarriage, or abortion, IUDs, and a pap smear biopsy. Because you're opening up that area, you're irritating that area, you're, it's entering into the reproductive system. So the risks, risk factors to PID are usually sexually active females under the age of 25. Being with someone who has been with multiple partners, sex without a condom, over-douching, and a history of PID or STDs. So these are all your, your risk factors. Complications of having PID. One of the main complications is ectopic pregnancy. PID is the main, one of the major causes of it. So the um, an untreated infection, PID, can cause scars in the fallopian tubes. The scar tissue prevents the fertilized egg from making its way through the fallopian tube to implant in the uterus. And then the egg implants into the fallopian tube. This is a medical emergency because you can get massive hemorrhaging. Another complication is infertility. The reproductive organs become infertile because a person can't get pregnant because, for instance, scarring in the fallopian tubes. And each PID infection increases the risk of infertility. Chronic pelvic pain is another one. And this pain can last for months or years. And scarring in the fallopian tubes and pelvic organs can cause pain during intercourse and ovulation. Another one is tubo ovarian abscess in the fallopian, in the fallopian tubes, in the fallopian tubes and ovaries and untreated Like I said, it could burst and lead to peritonitis. So prevention, safe sex, use a condom. Basically, the true way, the only way of never getting PID or a PID infection is to never have sex. Yes, I was going to say abstinence. So I wonder how many nuns. (laughs) Oh, no, don't go there. Just just leave it? No, don't. (laughs) So get tested for STDs and early treatment reduces the risk of serious complications. And you can ask your partner to get tested if, you know, um, you're serious about each other or just because the person is a decent person, you can say, hey, can you get tested or can you show me tests? That's a choice that you can have. Um, and I don't think it hurts to ask. Yeah, just be smart. Have, have you know, protected sex if you're going to if you're going to be sexually active. Yeah. And don't douche. Don't douche. Unless your doctor says to do it and has a good reason for it, don't mess what is already perfect. 
Okay, so let's talk about HPV. Let's talk about HPV. Let's talk about human papillomavirus. Okay, um, it's viral and it causes skin and mucous membrane growths and warts. There are a hundred varieties of HPV. I had no idea. That's crazy. Yeah. And some cause warts and some lead to cancer. And the main cancer it can lead to is cervical cancer. But it, in rare cases, it can cause um, anal, vaginal, vulval, uh, penis, and throat cancer. And it's transferred from sex skin or skin-to-skin contact. So symptoms of warts. For in genital warts, they're flat lesions or small cauliflower-like mumps or that have stem-like protrusions. Women, you will see it in the vulva, cervix, and anus. And men, you will see it in the penis, scrotum, and anus. Most common warts are that you see that are aside from the genital um, HPV are your ones on your hands and fingers. And then you can have them on your heels and your feet. And flat warts can appear anywhere. So they're contagious. Mm. Okay. And so I want to talk again about cervical cancers. So nearly all cervical cancers are caused by HPV and it can take up to 20 years to develop and have absolutely no symptoms. So this is kind of like the rule of thumb for women being screened between 21 to 29 years old. A woman should get a pap smear every three years. And you can also get a HPV DNA, DNA test just, you know, to see if you've had a prior infection. And then women from 30 to 65, they recommend every three to five years. So every three years, if you haven't had a HPV DNA test and every five years, um, if you have, again, that's up to you and your doctor. Pregnancy. This is really important. If the pregnant mother has HPV, the baby can get infected during delivery. And these growth warts and warts can end up in their larynx. Hmm. Okay. That's scary. You don't want to pass that on to your baby. You don't want to have it at all. And if it happens, it's not because someone is, you know, they may not even know. But it's it's well, incredibly but serious. Well, over 100 of them, right? And it's... Yeah. Right. So I think the risk factors are pretty obvious, but let's go through them anyway. Number, the number of sexual partners someone has had, their age. Again, genital warts most often occur in teens and young adults. Weakened immune systems in people taking immune suppressing drugs. And one of them can be, example, if you're uh, HIV. Um, damaged skin in the area and just personal contact, skin to skin complications. You can get oral and upper respiratory lesions and cancer. So let's talk about HPV vaccines. Yes, they've definitely been increasingly, you know, in the last, what, 10 years or so, the or it, more been, been well i mean there's been a push to to vaccinate young people to yeah. prevent cervical cancer right and there are a lot of um how do i put this delicately religious folks that are against this well because they want abstinence but that doesn't protect you no from 
Did you know they, they've done tests or they've run studies that it does getting an HPV test, um, sorry, an HPV vaccine does not actually increase sexual um, activity. It's, it's a prevention. Okay, so one of the, the vaccines is Gardasil 9. It protects males and females against cancer and warts. It's, um, it's recommended that these routine HPV vaccines for girls and boys start at uh, 11 and 12 and can be given as not, uh, young as nine years old. Again, they hear this and they go, oh my God. But the fact is, is that you're starting a preventative measure so your body can build up an immunity. This, this is not giving permission for a nine-year-old to have sex. It's saying, let's protect them for the future. And even if you have this vaccine, when you you know get older and you start being sexually active, it, it doesn't mean you should not use protection still. You still oh, should. no, no, because you've got all other different STDs and like what we already talked about before, things that can happen. Um, and so basically what they're saying, they should get this vaccine before they become sexually active. And the dose uh, is two doses of the vaccine, six months apart, and then a second series between the ages of 15 and 26, and they get three doses. Okay, so that's it for the cervix for now and talking a little bit about HPV. Let's move on to the uterus. This is a big one. Um, and I'm only going to be able to talk a little bit about the uterus today and we'll pick up and there might be an entire episode just related to the uterus on the next episode. But uh, let's talk about the uterus. The things that I'm going to go through, I'm just going to list them right away, are periods, or menstruation, prolapse, retroverted uterus, congenital uterine malformation, polyps, fibroids, endometrial hyperplasia, endometriosis, uterine scars, um, uh, Asherman syndrome, chronic pelvic pain, cancer, pregnancy, menopause. It's huge. Mm -hmm. uh, lots, so, lots to cover. So I'm going to give a little bit of an anatomy uh, lesson here. I, again, it was a good review for me on some things. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. So, you know, hopefully uh, this won't uh, bore the hell out of you guys, but I don't think it ever hurts to really listen. Again, and there may be some of you guys listening that uh, males or females, I say guys a lot, some people don't like it. For those that are listening, you may not know a lot about this. So here we go. Often referred to as the womb. It's a pear-shaped organ in the pelvis. One of its many, I don't want to say uses, jobs is to fertilize the egg. Functions. <laughs> yeah, functions, the implantation of an embryo, and the development of a baby. A baby. It's a muscular organ. It stretches exponentially to accommodate a growing fetus mm. or fetuses. Yes. Multiples. Mm, like twins. Yeah. Triplets. Or what was that? How many did that one woman have? Nine? <sighs> nine i don't know there's the dion quintuplets yeah no but there's some well that karen karen show she had eight kate and eight no did she have six she looks she's like the original karen oh god <laughs> i think she had six it was kate and eight or something like that and right, i think right. she already had i don't know i didn't really watch it but still anything over two or one that <laughs> that sucker's stretching out mm -hmm. um so it also, it contracts to push the baby out during childbirth. The lining of the uterus has um, three components. 
okay? And let's talk about them. You've got the parametrium, which is the outer layer uh, made up of epithelial cells. And then you got the myometrium, myo, muscle. It's the middle layer made of smooth muscle tissue. And then you've got the endometrium, which is the inner lining that builds up over the month and is shed if pregnancy doesn't occur. And then there are four main sections of the uterus. So that's sort of like a cross-section of it from outside to inside. Now this is actually from top to bottom. You have the fundus, which is the widest portion of the organ that connects to the fallopian tubes. If you... <laughs> If you've ever seen my angry uh, uterus picture, it's the arms that are in the air that go, that's uh, pulling out the uterus hair going, why? Why do you have to be such a jerk sometimes? Um, and then you have the corpus, which is the main part. And it starts directly below the level of the fallopian tubes and continues downwards, becoming increasingly narrow. And then the isthmus. Can never say that properly. Mm, you did good this, Miss. Did I? Okay. Mm. Um, is the lower part of the uterus and then the cervix, which is the lowest two inches of the, the uterus. This, so, this is like the narrowest part of something usually, like a peninsula or something. Oh, there we go. So I just learned something. Ithmus. Yeah. That's what well, Ithmus is. was on this, Miss. Mary Ithmus. Mary Ithmus. What's that one with the by the waitresses? Merry Christmas. Mary Ithmus. Mary Ithmus. <laughs> I always forget the title of that song. Okay, so now let's talk about conditions that can affect um, the uterus. Now, we're going to start with the menstrual cycle. That's a normal thing. I'm going to break down how it works. First half of the cycle, you have an increase in estrogen that makes the lining of the uterus grow and thicken. And then the follicular stimulating or follicle stimulating hormone kicks in and an egg from one of the ovaries starts to mature. On day 14, the luteinizing hormone kicks in and the egg leaves the ovary. And this is when ovulation takes place. And then you have the second half. So the egg travels through the fallopian tubes into the uterus and your progesterone levels go up and they help prepare the uterus lining for pregnancy. And then one of two things happens. Uh, the egg is fertilized and attaches to the uterine wall, or if not fertilized, it is absorbed back into the body. And at that point, your estrogen and progesterone levels drop and the thickened lining of the uterus is shed. And this is called the menstruation period, okay? A normal period usually lasts three to five days on the average, but it can happen up to seven. Uh, you get a moderate flow, might get some mild cramping and bloating, maybe some headaches, you know, your mild symptoms related to it. Um, but in the early years, when the period first starts, the it starts usually around between 12 and 15 years old, but can start as early as eight oh and as late as 16. Now, I was 10. I was a late bloomer. <laughs> when did you have yours? I was 16 almost. Really? Mm -hmm. I might have been 16, yeah. Because uh, I, I had mine at 10. Mm. For me, it was mortifying. I remember seeing some, you know, little hairs starting to grow in, and I would pluck them out. <laughs> and I think, like, that was it. All right, it's done. I'm finished with this. And then uh started getting boobs, and they've been growing for the last 41 <laughs> years. <laughs> 
goodness. Uh, uh, yes, but some women don't have normal periods, of course. So, but early on, um, so when the periods, your per- periods first start and then into menopause, they can be irregular. So the first thing to discuss is amenorrhea, which is you have no cycle by the end, by the age of 16. So that's definitely needs to be checked into. It could be yeah, I had a client hormonal. that It's, um, I forget the name of it, but basically her uterus is like, she can't have children. Like she never. And that affected her that she didn't get her start her period. Yeah. She never, it's a specific condition. I just can't remember the name of it, but um, we'll um, see if it comes up. I can't think of a, a name. I can't think of a thing right now either. Um, and then no periods in women that used to have regular periods. And these are some of the causes. Well, pregnancy, obviously. But well, no, you know what? That's not obviously. Yeah, because some women will have... A that was a shitty of- thing for me to say. Because you can be pregnant and not realize it. Or not be, you know, and then all of a sudden you're like, ah, I missed my period. I need to get a test mm-hmm. okay yeah but some women also get a little they'll get bleeding still during you know their pregnancy yeah but not like you would with your regular period mm-hmm. um breastfeeding excessive exercising stress extreme weight loss caused by illness or an eating disorder hormonal problems like the pituitary thyroid um ovary and adrenal glands so Yes, those things. So I'm wondering if this this person you're talking about had some problems with those uh, that didn't, you know, maybe it was a a structural problem or maybe it was a hormonal problem. No, it's a, it's a structural thing specifically. Huh. But yeah. I mean, I've also had clients who've had their periods affected from concussions. Wow. You know, at like a head injury that affected because the blow affected pituitary. So these are things sort of like on the periphery that I would never think of to mm-hmm. that I'm going to want to look into a little bit more. Of course, when they got some treatment for the concussion, it, 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 you know. Started again? It started again, yeah. Yeah. Okay, and you've got dysmenorrhea, which are painful periods. And we're talking severe pain here. And usually this is caused by an excess of the hormone prostaglandin. And also can be caused by fibroids and endometriosis. Yep, uh, fibro- uh, fibroids, I guess, will can cause a lot of heavy bleeding, too. Oh, yeah, and well, and incredibly painful periods. Mm-hmm. And the next is menorrhagia, which is abnormal uterine bleeding. You get excessive bleeding, long periods, or short periods between. So you may have a period for 12 days, three days off, and then start right back at it again. And this can be caused by fibroids, polyps, or something more serious. Mm-hmm. So when do you see a doctor? So if you haven't had your period or your child hasn't had their period by the age of 16, you know, take them in. Maybe even sooner. Um, or it just suddenly stopped. Or bleeding more than usual. Or bleeding excessively. Or you are suddenly sick after using tampons. And I, that leads me into talking about toxic shock syndrome. You don't hear about it a lot, no, but it's still anymore, no. a really, you know, it's relevant. Maybe it, it's it, it's in a condition that can still happen and it's incredibly serious. Okay. So let's talk about it. Just because it's not talked about a lot anymore, I think we should talk about it because it's something that could come up. So mm-hmm. certain bacterial infections release toxins into the bloodstream and these toxins spread in uh, into the body. 
and cause severe damage and illness. And the bugs are usually Staphylococcus aureus, Staphylococcus pyrogens, pyrogenes, pyrogenes? Mm-hmm. I always say it wrong. And Clostridium, Clostridium mm-hmm. sardelli. Okay. Um, if you get a sudden high fever, muscle aches, diarrhea, dizziness, fainting, sunburn-like rash, sore throat, bloodshot eyes, headache, decreased liver function, decreased urine output, disorientation, confusion, tachycardia, or like a group of these together, get to the doctor. That's a lot of of symptoms. (laughs) Well, they actually vary depending on the strain. Right. Depending on the bug. But you... (laughs) Even so, you will get a whole bunch of these. Some may be a little different from others. Now, it was really prevalent in the 70s and 80s because of the introduction of highly absorbent tampons. So they were just... And uh, creating this problem. And so into the 80s, they they changed how they made their the tampons, what was in them, you know, the the contents of the tampons, that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. So this is dramatically dropped off. But there's still a risk, and it's not just from tampons. So superabsorbent tampons, surgical wounds, local infections, a history of using a diaphragm or a sponge, or recent childbirth, miscarriage, or abortion. And it's diagnosed with blood cultures, blood tests, urine tests, and lumbar puncture. Hmm. What about those um, the diva cups that some women use as opposed to tampons what i understand about them because i'm so far away from my period i had a a hysterectomy when i was 37 so um my understanding is that you put them in it collects the blood and you empty it clean it and put it back in again so i don't know um yeah i mean you can can tell us a little bit more anybody who uses a diva cup if you feel comfortable or if you know more than i do I, i feel kind of um silly for for not knowing about it well i know they're usually like a like a hygienic silicone type of a, a material and i mean unless you had you know an allergies to that maybe it would be more or less sorry more, well i mean it's more less, environmentally friendly yeah, less, and you're not uh, putting something foreign into your body that can leach um you know yeah, uh, a toxin out of it collecting it's than collecting than and then yeah absorbing Okay, so treatment. This is so serious. These are some of the treatments you might have to get because you can go into organ failure from this, like absolute shock, like it's called, and sepsis, right? So it depends on the extent of the disease, but usually a person will need, a woman will need uh, IV antibiotics, IV fluid to treat the the shock in the organ damage, medications for low blood pressure, dialysis. They may need to be ventilated or supplemental oxygen. Um, or deep surgical cleaning of the wound. So, again, it's rare now, but it still can happen. So keep your, if you have any of the things that we talked about that can cause it, whether you use a super absorbent tampon, like we said, surgical wounds, uh, local infections, that kind of stuff, history of diaphragm or sponge use, uh, just had a baby, miscarriage, abortion, these are your uh, triggers that can cause it so or that can lead up to it okay so i've decided to to kind of stop there because i'm pretty sure the next episode is going to be mostly on the uterus and <laughs> things that occur with the the uterus mm-hmm. um and we'll we'll carry on from there and uh yeah 
So I hope you guys uh, get something out of this. Yeah, I hope we educated you. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you know that there's someone that could, you know, benefit, benefit from listening to this, please suggest it. And I, I, it's not about numbers. It's just about education. So if you guys, if there's someone that you think can, can benefit about it, yeah, I, it would be great if you um, had them have a listen. Yeah, and just one thing I wanted to add, because like I said, when I'm... Um when I'm treating some women for low back or abdominal pain and stuff, I like to do a good sort of thorough intake about, you know, what's their periods like, what were they like when they started and stuff. And some women, you know, they're, they're, they have really heavy, horrible, painful periods. And sometimes they just think that that's normal. Like, because everybody in their family, their moms was like that, their sisters was like that or whatever. Or, or they've always always had that. Yeah, but it's it's not really that normal. I mean, like you said, the, a normal period should, shouldn't be, you know, you having to take Percocets for the pain. I had a client once who took Percocets for, for yeah, period pain. Yeah, and you know, I the reason why I had a hysterectomy was because I was having such severe pain um, and endometriosis. And I already had my boy and the discussions had taken place whether um I was going to have another child or not because at that point um he was 15 (laughs) and I had been talking for a few years about having a brother or sister and he's like no (laughs) I don't want I want to be a single child and you know it's not like he made the decision on it but you know, if if your other child, I don't know. I just kind of was like, you know, I can give him everything. I can focus on one child and, you know, not have to worry financially about certain things. Not that, you know, obviously I w- was looking at having another child and I loved them and made it work and that kind of stuff. But I thought, you know, I can give it all to Van. Um, but, you know, part if they're like, nope. I don't know. Some people think I'm crazy that I, I helped him let me dictate it, but it was a part of it, you know. I, I just, I don't know. I, I I let it be a part of my my decision. Yeah, well, I mean, and there was a there would have family. been a huge difference in age. Yes, because I was looking maybe when he was around ten or eleven. Then I was like, okay, but then there would have been a ten year difference, and that's that's a big deal. You know. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Let's carry on. All right. What was I talking about before this? I think you were saying this was the end of the episode. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's so much to talk about the uterus. I'm just going to end by saying that I, so the doctor and I discussed it. And I'm like, I'm not having any more kids. I'm, I'm done. Um, and, you know, he's like, all right then. And my quality of life improved exponentially I was just I was just thinking that like it's just for some women they're anemic you know they're bleeding you know heavily sometimes for 10 12 days and it's just yeah yeah, it's rotten the pain was so incredibly bad like I didn't know what to do with myself like I couldn't get I wanted to crawl out of my own body um and working while in so much pain and then like actually considering taking time off for a period and I know it's not just a period. That's, you know, any woman that suffers can tell you that. This is no little thing. Mm-hmm. If you had some other condition that was incredible pain like that and you were asked to work through it, and it's not like you can take something heavy for it and then go to work. 
It's not like, yeah, like you said, have a Percocet and then show up at work, you know, okay. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, um, so it improved my quality of life. And I kept my ovaries and I'm not in menopause at 51. So, you know, it was worth it for me. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, very individual for each woman. Yeah. So but, and also for some decision. women, it's a, it's like, um, I feel like they're losing part of their femininity and losing their ability mm-hmm. to have a baby is a, a big decision. Some women, it makes them feel like less, uh, like a female, like less like a woman. And that's something that's, that's relevant. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Anyway, I hope that you guys enjoyed today's episode. Um, I'm not going to do these episodes straight in a row, which I'm, what I'm thinking of is doing one, um, a month after this and get into another subject at the same time. And, um, I'm going to, I'm going to still, uh, the, the, uh, what do you call it? The something is out. The jury is out. (laughs) on this one but i think i'd like to continue because this may be a very uh like man get into you know two and three or more episodes um let's we're going to talk about uh something else in between if that makes any sense to you what i just said with my rambling mary's we'll eyes just, well, like went all googly in different directions me trying to explain this alternating we're going to do women's health i'm going to do some sort of psycho serial killer and then we do women's health yeah yeah because you know they definitely go hand in hand <laughs> jesus christ could you have more opposite though all joking aside you know we we've talked about uh like andrea yates and postpartum psychosis and uh yeah well oh. some women joke that they could use their pms as a as a defense for murder yeah husbands or partners <laughs> but partners, anyway yeah. okay so we digress at least i digress so um I hope, like I said, I hope this has helped and I uh, really appreciate you guys listening today. If you have any questions or anything to add, please uh, drop me a line. All the ways to contact me are in the show notes. And uh, if you're on the Facebook page, just jump in and uh, let's have a discussion about this. And um, yeah, I hope you guys are all doing well and taking care of yourselves, taking care of each other. And most important, love yourself. Peace. One love. True crime and it gets none realer. Sometimes it'll be the cure that'll kill you. Gotta watch out, yeah, you gotta watch it back. Cause you don't wanna be another episode on stat. Thank you for tuning in, learn a thing or two. These medical mysteries can be unbelievable, yeah. Subscribe, make sure you do that so you'll be tuned in and be ready for the next show. Stat.